0: Hello and welcome to the Warden Fintech podcast. I'm Ray Advani and I'll be your host for today's episode with Sunil Sachdev, the head of embedded finance at Fiserv. Sunil has extensive experience across the payments ecosystem having spent a decade at Fiserv and a decade at Amex. During his time at Fiserv, he's done everything from leading business expansion into international markets to owning the US community bank business segment and serving as the head of Fintech. In previous episodes, we've touched on emerging fintech payments products that are attempting to take a piece of Fiserv's very large slice of the payments buy. Today, we're going to dive into Fiserv, a dominant player in this space. And just to quantify their scale, they have a market cap of over $70 billion, and their solutions are used by one in three financial institutions in the US. We're going to talk about their vast product suite, the drivers behind its success to date, and its plans to address the rise of embedded fintech. With that, let's dive in. Sunil, welcome to the pod.
1: Great to be here, Rhea. Thanks for the invite.
0: Before we dive into the meat of this podcast, can you tell us a little bit about Fiserv's business? How did Fiserv grow into the behemoth that it is today?
1: Sure. Fiserv is a company that moves information and money in a way that moves the world. And for us, we're a company that's about 35 plus years old right now. We've grown through mergers and acquisitions. We've also grown organically. We have a large global footprint of payment processing and banking assets. We have thousands of clients all over the world. We are the number one issuer processor in the US and possibly globally, and uh, number one merchant acquirer and the number one core banking provider in the US. So we really do sit at the nexus of commerce. Especially when you contemplate or think about where commerce is headed from traditional forms of money movement into a much more digital ecosystem that we engage with today.
0: Let's dive into some of those areas that you mentioned in a little bit more detail. What are the key products and customer segments that Pfizer caters to?
1: Today, as the number one core banking provider, we have a very robust financial institution vertical. We work with thousands of financial institutions to not only their core banking and money movement needs, but also work with them from everything from bill pay as well as digital banking and online banking, risk and fraud solutions, issuing of different types of card products, virtual, or otherwise. So we have a very robust financial institution for France. We also work in the merchant arena. The merchant business is one of our larger businesses. We cater to all shapes and sizes of merchants, whether they're small businesses on Main Street or mid-market or enterprise merchants. Our fastest growing vertical on the merchant side of the house is the integrated software platforms. ISVs and Payfax really are growing at a fast clip as they are tailoring their services for specific industry segments. And then on the issuer side of the house, we the largest private label credit card issuer in the country. We have over 80 to 85% share of that marketplace. We do work with some of the largest financial institutions who issue different types of credit, whether it's buy now, pay later, installment loans, or unsecured credit through different brands as well as financial institutions.
0: As you mentioned, acquiring and issuing are core pieces of fire service business. And within payments, you know, it's proved to be a very dynamic space with the rise of global commerce and changing consumer preferences and emergence of players like Stripe for redefining the way that payments is done today. In your opinion, what are the biggest changes occurring in the space? And does Fiserv view these more as opportunities or as threats?
1: Look, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Fiserv has always tried to lead the charge with regards to payment and banking innovation, going as far back as Pop Money, which was one of the first P2P providers at scale in the country. This was before EWS and FedNow came out. We also had and still currently have the largest biller network in the country where we're able to facilitate money movement between financial institutions and corporations. And we also have the largest gateway that connects in all of these different channels to our financial institutions to allow folks the largest breadth of optionality when it comes to moving money, both domestically and internationally. When you think about where payments and banking is going, obviously, the big change is the digitization of these types of transactions, the fact that everybody's leveraging their mobile device to initiate a lot of banking and payment transactions. When you think about it in that type of environment or a landscape, I would say Fiserv is perfectly positioned. We're one of the few companies, if not the only company that has robust solutions across each part of the value chain needed to facilitate payments. So as the largest issuer and acquirer, as well as the largest bank provider of core banking systems, we are perfectly positioned to support and influence the next stage of growth in banking and payments. And the biggest area of change that we're seeing is the fact that a lot of the vertical software companies today that are supporting their sub-merchants through acquiring practices are now also starting to issue their own bank accounts as well. And thus, by being able to be the acquirer and the issuer, they're consolidating what used to be very discrete commercial and go-to-market models into a single model. And they're blurring the lines between acquiring and issuing, thus allowing them greater opportunity to provide a value-added service that fits the need of the specific industry that they're catering to. We think this is going to change the way people kind of engage with different brands. And it also is becoming very apparent as people become more comfortable initiating banking and payment transactions in different interfaces that are not necessarily controlled by the financial institution, that the ecosystem's only going to grow.
0: I think you just had the most eloquent description of embedded finance without actually saying those two words. So let's double click on that. As the head of embedded finance advisor, how do you really define the space?
1: Yeah, I think again, at the risk of repeating myself, it's about surfacing financial transactions in non-fi experiences. We're seeing growth across the board within brands, within vertical software companies, within neobanks, and everybody has kind of their flavor of banking and payments experience, but it's much more tailored to a specific segment of the population historically may have been underbanked or just not appreciated as much from a banking perspective. And I think as these companies rise and they recognize the ability to aggregate some of these commercial models together to offer all of these services at a one stop shop, you're going to see more and more of this proliferate. I think today I was just listening to the news and heard a lot about the growth in the private credit market as well. And the economy in general is playing a large part in that as well. Where we are in the interest rate cycle, where we are in the credit cycle, I think is starting to bring in more non-FIs into the banking and payments domain and ecosystem because there's an opportunity here to monetize money flows where before they were just kind of the passive intermediary.
0: In that context, how does FISA really think about playing in this space and having a role or providing a product to their customers in this space?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with just looking at our existing customer base. As I mentioned, since we are privileged to have such a large, diverse segment of customers across financial institutions, to merchants, to large retail aggregators, for us, embedded finance is about connecting all of these endpoints together and being able to create the connective tissue from that integrate systems that were historically discrete so they could offer up commerce journeys that could be embedded anywhere. We just had our recent investor day a couple of weeks ago and within that presentation on embedded finance we shared that we believe just within our customer base we're looking at a TAM of at least 2 billion just within our base and we think that's pretty conservative given the pace of growth that we see happening all around us so our ability to connect these systems and be able to initiate customer journeys or commerce journeys in user experiences controlled by anybody at this point, I think really gives us a leg up in terms of how we can position embedded finance for growth going forward.
0: Got it. And you mentioned existing customers being a huge opportunity. But on the flip side, one could argue that some of these embedded finance products might actually compete with some of your existing customers. How are you really thinking about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. But when you peel back the onion on embedded finance, like every financial transaction or ability to move money on behalf of a customer requires some type of chartered financial institution to sit in the background. Because the regulatory framework that exists today in the U.S. market requires that financial institutions are in the payment flow somewhere to support either some level of FDIC insurance for an account, the ability to have money transmitter licenses to help move money from point A to point B, the ability to potentially underwrite credit. Now, on the credit side, we're seeing more private credit players come into the game. But still, when you think about small business and commercial lending, a lot of that still is in the domain of our financial institution and customers. So for us, it's about bringing the merchant brands the large corporations that are looking to embed financial services and connecting them with our very broad and deep ecosystem of financial institution clients.
0: And to actually dive into your specific approach within this embedded finance business, I know that Pfizer is no stranger to M&A and has been pretty active in launching partnerships to stay competitive but I guess the fact that you have an embedded finance team signals an appetite to build internally. So, how have you really thought about this buy versus build decision in the context of embedded fintech specifically?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I think the acquisition opportunity is always there in terms of hey, is there a way that we can service a growing need of our customers faster by acquiring? Tech or a third party solution that we can plug and play. And historically, as you said, Ria, we've done that quite a bit. But today we're really focused on building the connective tissue around assets we've already acquired. If you think about the three main pillars behind embedded finance, we have our Carrot or Commerce Hub ecosystem that basically manages and orchestrates all of the payment acquiring and processing capability. We have that connected to Finzac. Finzac's our Gen 3 cloud native. API-native ledger or core banking platform. And then we have Optus, which is a state-of-the-art loan underwriting and credit platform. From that perspective, if we're able to stitch these systems together with some of the surround capability that we have, we have a very formidable platform that people can leverage to enable any type of embedded finance, embedded banking, embedded credit type of use case.
0: Got it. And as we think about just putting more color around, can you maybe describe Pfizer's embedded finance offering? What does it look like today?
1: Yeah. So today, what we take to market is our ability to support non-FIs capabilities to embed lending, so credit, banking, so DDAs, whether they're retail or small business, or be able to facilitate any type of acquiring or payfac capability that allows them to embed acquiring into all of the vertical SaaS platforms that they support today. Does that help?
0: Yep, super helpful. Just to put some more color on that, could you maybe yeah. quantify or share any numbers just the size of this business within Fiserv?
1: It's a fairly decent business that we Kind of pulled together over the last, I would say, six to eight months. But from a pipeline perspective and growth perspective, it has exceeded all expectations. More recently, you may have seen around Money 2020, we did a press release with a company called Pay Theory. Pay Theory is a registered PayFac. They're using our exchange platform in the merchant division. We've integrated that with our Finzac platform, which is our Gen 3 ledger, to enable kind of this acquiring and issuing value proposition to all of their sub merchants. So now Pay Theory, which caters to must pay industries like healthcare and education, can go to some of their customers and give them access to solutions that will deliver working capital a lot faster allow them to underwrite credit in a much more thoughtful way and be able to issue commercial DEAs as well. From that perspective, we're really bringing all of our services into a single set of APIs, what we call our unified APIs, and allow third parties like PayTheory to integrate those services. We've also now integrated a company called PayWith into the broader ecosystem. And PayWith brings together a super app capability that allows third parties to embed all different types of financial services in their broader commerce offering in a much more meaningful way. A lot of the brands that we work with have mobile apps. Many of those apps are not commerce enabled. By having a white label super app that can take on some of those services and embed that through SDKs into the brand's experience i think is going to help redefine how some of the brands introduce embedded finance to their retail or small business customers
0: that's a really interesting use case you know as you think about launching this offering with new customers you know what are some of the biggest challenges that you face in that sales process
1: Yeah, I think the embedded finance means so many things to so many different people, Rhea, that when you start having that conversation, the first thing you do immediately is kind of level set on what does each party mean when they reference or they talk about embedded finance. I think once you get to a common understanding of what we're talking about, what we hear a lot is the fact that. We have a very comprehensive approach to embedded finance. It's not specific to a singular use case or two. It covers kind of the gamut of financial services. And once we get into those types of discussions, I think folks then start realizing what it means to their existing commercial model and go to market. And that's where we spend a lot of our time, is that when you talk to even technology companies or traditional institutions that have been kind of supporting different types of financial service use cases in their existing experiences, when they start seeing the vision and what embedded finance could potentially mean in their ecosystem, that's where we spend a lot of time solution engineering and whiteboarding what the possible options could be in terms of their go-to-market. And I think that's the cool part of embedded finance. Like, you know, over the last couple of years, we've lived through this kind of fintech wave. And it was very vanilla in terms of the types of products and services that you'd bring to market. Many of the folks wanted to become neobanks. And within the neobank model, they had a large dependency on debit interchange as kind of their main driver of revenue, plus some additional value-added services. I think what we're seeing with embedded finance is a maturation of that model. And now we're working with brands and third parties that have revenue coming from their proprietary software products, and they look at financial services as vast, as value added to their existing business. So you're not under the gun with regards to like investing into all of these technology platforms and hoping to bring in new customers. You're basically looking to monetize customers and money flows that you already have today by adding embedded finance into that broader library of services.
0: I know we're almost coming up at time, but just to quickly wrap up, I'd love to get your view on how you think the impact of embedded finance is going to be on other players in the payments ecosystem. Who are the winners and the losers in this new paradigm?
1: I think we're still in the early innings to define winners and losers, but I can tell you this much that commercial models for banking and payments will change. We talked about where we are in the interest rate cycle and the credit cycle as well. So that's already having an impact within the financial institution landscape. We've already, we're also seeing a very accelerated rise of private credit and what that means for financial institutions that depend on commercial lending. I think on the merchant side of the house, you're seeing merchants become much more savvier around payment optimization. Embedded finance will allow them to influence the mix of payment modalities that they accept at the point of sale or online for goods and services. That's going to influence kind of what they need to do from an expense perspective or allocate from a tech budget perspective on other parts of their business. And then from a credit underwriting perspective, we're seeing AI and other things come in to the underwriting engines to help democratize credit and be a little bit more thoughtful in terms of how credit is provided for. I've been in the market for two decades plus, and I've worked in the U.S. and I've worked overseas during that time. So I'm familiar with emerging markets as well as developed markets. I I have to tell you, we're living through a moment in time where The confluence of regulatory factors, environmental factors, as well as what we're seeing even from a demographic perspective here. We've never seen all of this come together at the same time. And then underlying everything is all of the rapid technological change that's happening all around us, which is going to make payments and banking very interesting and I think is really going to give us a long runway from an embedded finance perspective in terms of shaping how people pay others and pay themselves going forward.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Sunil. It was great to have you on the pod.
1: Thanks, Rhea. It's good to be here.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review and subscribe to our show. And as always, thank you to our editor, Rafael Sevilla. Until next time, this is your host, Rhea Adbani.